Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage, where Fermi Wong tells me about how she became a social worker, how helping others gives her contentment, her work with Hong Kongers of South Asian descent and those who have come more recently from Nepal, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and elsewhere, and how she pushed the government to introduce its race discrimination ordinance in 2006. Fermi's life story has been published in the book Colours of Justice, which is currently available in Chinese, but there are also plans to bring out an English version. Last week, Fermi told me about how she left Fujian province with her family at the age of 11. And if you missed that last week, you can pick that up on the Hong Kong Heritage podcast. This week, Fermi starts off by telling me about what made her a social worker. When I went to City University, of course, you know, I learned a lot of social work values and concepts that our fundamental value is to defend for the social justice and human rights, which is really new concept for me. Because before studying in social work, I see suffering or, you know, all those disabilities is because of your own unfortunate, right? And that you have to be responsible for yourself. For example, my family have a free, including my father, four mentally challenges. That is our bad luck in my family. But after my study social work, I realized that, yes, uh, we cannot choose our family background. But the social policy and also the society that, you know, shaping your destiny or your life, that if there are better policy, which can reduce your suffering or if not suffering can also reduce your misery right so and that was my very eye-opening my new perspective to see the suffering not also the social problems that is not really individuals luck in fact the society has a obligation or a duty to do something about it so i was really excited oh how come you know some people so careful to think in this way right so <laughs> Once you'd made that discovery, did you then think, right, well, I better get down to my studies in order to become a social worker? Yes, yes. And so also, it inspired you? It inspired me. After that, I worked as a volunteer for the mentally challenges for the elderly home before joining social work. I, I mean, from the summer of Form 3, Form 4, Form 5. And also at the time, because it, that was in the early 90s, and then just, you know, the political system is just starting to open. And then people are discussing about the political participation and also the, we call it citizenship, all those things. And then I joined a youth group we call Doremi. Doremi, they have a meaning. Do is like, no, do. You have to do something. Re is realize yourself, realize the society. Me is my you know, what can I do for the society? Okay, the real me. And then I start to care about the society and also build up in my heart because I I don't really think that life is worth to live on because of too much suffering in my home, in my family. And I saw so many problems in the wooden housing area, poverty, new arrivals, mental challenges, mental illness, and also try societies, violence, all those family domestic violence right in my living area. And then I just thought that, you know, what the hell that, you know, people want to live, right? At the time, I was I, I quite doubt on the value of life. But I just thinking that, but the 89, June 4, 89 instant, for me, I was pretty new to political instance. And also I did not really care about China because I, I was so happy in Hong Kong, I forget about China. But my friends, 
they also I don't know why they so care about you know China and then are so care about you know those student leaders Wang Dan, Chai Ning, Liu Xiaobo, right? You know, I I was just you know start to understand why and also start to learn something that people will sacrifice their life for some cause, which is not personal benefit. That was my first time realized that people will sacrifice their life for the sake of higher social cause. And then I asked myself, okay, Fermi, if you want to live that, what do you want to do? What kind of life? And then I find myself, I would love to help people because I did not really feel happy about my life. Even though I'm a very positive character, in fact, in deep down, I don't really think that life is really meaningful. And then I find out, you know, doing my volunteer work, I find out that I feel the containment, not only happiness, I mean the containment and the joyful. Yeah, the contentment, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. containment of, of, are, you yeah. know, full happy people. Mm. I feel the happiness, the containment. So I decided that if I want to have this kind of feeling, the good feeling, I mean, of the life, the joy, the happiness or the containment, that, you know, maybe I can help those people, some people who are in need. Because I, I can feel, you know, if their life improved, I feel satisfaction. I'm also happy for them. So this is my first feeling that, you know, oh, maybe this is the meaning of life. So who did you first work with when you when you finished your uh, diploma? Uh, I work as an outreaching social worker for the youth in Shatin area. And I mainly deal with those, you know, tri society members or some young girls have the premarital pregnancy and some other family or relationship problems. And, and what NGO were you working uh, for? I work for Yen Memorial, Methodist Yen Memorial Social Service in Shatin Youth Outreach. So uh, you're working with often teenage young mums and also the uh, Triad. Yes, yeah, yeah Triad. So society. what did you do with the Triad? Oh, the Triad Society, you know, they, at the time, you know, they just want to attract the people to join them. And then uh, they would do some, I would call it a minor crime. Or, we cannot say crime minor or big, but just like, you know, um, robbery or uh, fighting, something like that. And then I try to convert them as a volunteers. So I talked to big brother, one of the big brothers, said, okay, we, we see that, you know, whether the children, they want to follow me or follow you. And then they say, okay, there's a good deal. And then I try to approach every of those teenagers from one to form five the street kids and then I organized in the volunteer work campaign all those things and then I convert the whole group camping yeah camping yeah convert the whole group become a very productive volunteers <laughs> but what did big brother think about that the big brother thinks I'm a very good social worker and then he also followed me <laughs> yeah now we still are very good friend now still good friend now is a father of two yeah, because he thinks I'm so fun, it's funny, and also you know, um, good to his brothers. I mean, and also, and also because at that time, you know, the big brother has had some trouble, and then of course I help him out. And what triad society was this? Sub K, fourteen K. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and yeah, and, you know, but weren't you in danger? No, not really. No, no, no. Because you know they, you know, eventually they were kids only. I would say that you know you really care about them, they know it. They especially, you know, uh, whenever they need you and then you were there. For example, you know, they uh, kick out by the school and then, the, of course, the first one, they will come to me and then I will try to help them, to, you know, to go back to the school. And then, you know, um, many children there that, you know, some of them are single 
parents and the mom or the bar was really busy, no time for them. They just, I think that sometimes they need love and care. And some we call those undesirable behaviors, maybe just like, you know, attention seeking. As a social worker, we all understand that the presenting problems, behind the presenting problem, there's some need. You don't look for those we call undesirable behaviors. You just look as a person. This guy, this youngster, the need is a struggle soul, right? That, um, so uh, it's not difficult to build up the rapport or the trust. They feel it. I always said that, you know, you need not to talk too much. They, oh, I love you. I care about you. Because your behavior, your act will show that you really care about them. They know it. So you work initially for this NGO in yeah. Sha Tin? Yeah, in Sha Tin. Yeah. And then in 97, I went to UK for a while. To do what? I so stupid thing. I <laughs> okay, initially, I, because you know, I want to escape from my relationship with my boyfriend because we have a few years and then it was about the time to get married. I was so scared. That, you know, maybe I don't want to get married. My, my boyfriend was a daughter and then he expect me not to work after marriage. And then I find out that myself, I really want to work. But because we have been together for a few years, and then two families expecting that we will get married in 1997, because he finished his houseman, and then he's formally get a job in a government hospital. And I was so scared. And then I said, maybe I need some time. And then I just run away to UK and for traveling. Okay. And then after one month, I feel so boring. Ah, how come you know, I'm in the UK for what? And then I went to Bradford, near the Sheffield, right? Bradford, yeah. Yeah, Bradford, you know, to visit my friend, with uh, my friend who was study master a degree in social work there. And then I, I went to visit her and we had a dinner with her department head and also my friend. And the department really loved me. Said, oh, family, you're so funny. How come you don't join my program? I said, okay, I can join you. Immediately, I just joined the program. In Bradford? Yeah, in Bradford. But very unprepared, I tell you. you know, okay, very unprepared. I just have a, a little bit luggage. And then I said, okay, okay, then I will try to study. And I studied one semester of, of Master uh, in Social Work and Social Care. And then after one semester, Christmas, right? During the Christmas, all of my homemates, they all go home. And then I start to have a homesick. I said, how come, you know, oh, I miss Hong Kong a lot because I was almost alone. Because all my uh, fellows, you know, they have a Christmas uh, holiday. And then I decided, okay, maybe I should go back to Hong Kong. And then my department head said, that, oh, please don't go. I know that if you go, you will never re return. I said, no, you see, I have a return, returning ticket. I bought a returning ticket. I said, okay, just go and do some research and then I will be come back. And then, of course, I never go back to continue. The course. So you did one semester at Bradford University. <laughs> yeah, but Bradford University, and then you come back, and what's happened to the doctor boyfriend at this point? Oh, and then we separate. Yeah, yeah I, I love my work, and then okay, now, I had another boyfriend. <laughs> now, when you were at Bradford University, did you have, because um, that's quite a very high sort of South Asian ethnic minorities, yes, yeah. did you have a lot to do with them there? Before uh, 98, I had no idea about, you know, ethnicities, racial issues, or I did not have any friend, you know, other than Chinese ethnic origin. So uh, in Bradford, I, my classmates, you know, uh, Sri Lanka, Pakistani, India, and Greek, or uh, Cyprus, all those, you know, is highly diverse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what, you got Sri Lankan? Yeah, yeah. And, and India and Pakistani. Yeah. And then and they have uh, some stores, you know, I used to buy, you know, the uh, instant noodles. <laughs> 
<laughs> so, and, but also, you know, I instant had, noodles I, from Sri Lankan still. Yeah, yeah, yes, because so yummy. And also, uh, two of my quite close, you know, customers, yeah, they are from uh, also uh, South Asian origin. But I never know that I will serve every artist. Okay, of course, at that time. And then when I came to Hong Kong, I tried to find a job because at that time, many people said that it was the new year of 98. So it's uh, February of 98 when I came to Hong Kong. And people said that, oh, for me, in Hong Kong, in the social work field, is really tough. That no jobs. And then I said, really? I, I try. And then I write a letter. And then people hire me. Okay, then I will work. That is from that job in Sam Shui Po. It was Hong Kong Christian Service, the agency. And uh, Sam Shui Po, we call Teen Center. That means it's an integrated social service for the youth. And then I work as outreach. And then in Samshuibo, my first time encounter South Asians, the students of Leijing Oak Government Primary School. That was how I start, you know, to serve this group of people. As an outreach social worker, we will have, you know, we go to the few observation to see how the dynamic or if any groups or if that, you know, in the park or in the football court that you are not uh, going to school or on job. That means we see double disengaged. And then in my field, one day I saw a group of Pakistani children, but in school uniform in the early, um, I think it's 11 a.m. And because I couldn't tell, you know, who are they, just South Asian, I know only. But draw my attention is how come, you know, they not going to school and then in the park and then pay. And then I asked them. And the first encounter was like that. I said, hi. And they just look at me. I said, oh, in Cantonese first. But they said no Cantonese, and then I speak in English, and but I have no idea about their names, and then I just say, okay, are you Peter? <laughs> they, they said no. I said about John. They said no, <laughs> and they they not really responsive to me, and then I keep observing, and then every day about one week, and I see you know the children got nothing to do. They sit in the park, and then I try to find out their school, which is relating or just near to my center. And afternoon, around 6 p.m., that is the school off hour. And then I I also saw a group of uh, Pakistani students, and then I tried to follow them. I said, okay, hi, um, I'm a social worker. What is your name? They just, you know, keep running, but look at me. And then I said, okay, I'm good. I'm Bruce Bruce I'm not a bad guy. Very good, you know. I'm social worker, good people, Bruce Lee. Do you know Bruce Lee? And then they laugh. Of course, they laugh. <laughs> and then they feel maybe this is crazy or what is so funny. But suddenly there was um, teenagers. They, they were, watch out. Don't talk to her. She's Chinese. And then the kids just run. And then I was so surprised. Yes, I'm Chinese, but why don't talk to me? And then I try to, next day, I try to find out, try to talk to them. And then I went to a football court nearby. And then I saw the kids, you know, that's playing the football, just beside, not inside the football court. And then I asked, why don't you pay inside? Right there, you see, they, no one was paying in the football court. And then the group of children said, are we allowed? I said, of course. And then they were so happy, they said, okay. Is it yours? I said, no, there's government, you can pay inside. I said, come on, just pay, you know, pay inside. But they told me, said that, oh, but uh, we are told that we are not allowed to pay inside because it's only belong to Chinese. But I said, no, it's for all, you are Hong Kong people, everyone can pay it. Even at that time, I 
I did not understand or I did not think, you know, the word racial discrimination because at the time I had no idea or any concept about discrimination. But I just think it's not right. It's not all right. It's unfair. So and then I, I, I start to, you know, to understand them more why they come so early. They said because they live very far away. You know, two moon, why, but they came to Samshaibo and then they worry about late. So they, their mother, father go to work. So they come so early in order not to be late. That means, that means they spend whole day, even though it's afternoon session, but whole day in Samshaibo. And then I start to want to do something, for example, some recreationals. I want to bring them go to my center, but I was not allowed. I was so shocked. You were not allowed. So, because you know my colleagues, they against. They said that oh, come on. We our priorities is to serve Chinese, and this group of people is very new. We don't understand them. I said, but, but they're they, not that new. Yeah, and they are kids. You know the center. I said the center has been here for thirty years, and the school have been here for forty years. Right, just nearby, but never. You know, I think it's, it was invisible. Even though you know you see people, but it's still you know you don't you know you don't care because you don't care. And then I try, but of course you know object very strong opposition by my colleagues. And then uh, but the kids, you know, I already attract them, <laughs> come to find me. And then I just find my way is I sacrifice my lunch hour, one to two p.m. I move out the ping pong table. Come out and then I can, you know, have a very good, we say, in a good program for them, you know, to learn, to light up, to pay, and then kill time. Okay, and not just, you know, good in the park fighting or running. But my colleagues, they don't feel good. Then uh, after one or two weeks, and I got a very strong opposition that it's unfair for other users because I, I moved the ping pong table outside. And then, you know, so noisy outside the center. And then attract more at uh, this kind of kiss. And then I resign myself. And go to go back to Yen Memorial, but not shouting in Yamate. <laughs> so that's why you know I also I and then I start to encounter the Nepalese who are schoolless. Yeah, but of course I face you know even stronger opposition. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, in fact, I I work for Yen Memorials uh, from uh, ninety eight August to two thousand October. I was forced to resign. In fact, I was fired that because you know uh, serving every Maltese. Because many my colleagues in Yen Memorial said that we are Chinese, uh, we have to serve the Chinese first. I I'm not every Maltese. I don't know their needs, so I don't know how to serve. I said, how come? So so and then um uh, because they uh, too much complain against me. That you know, um, how to say is you know to um, they say I am not team spirit, right? And then my supervisor, you know, asked me to leave. But at the time, in the two year, uh, the first two years, you know, because I faced a very big group of Nepalese kids who were uh, schoolless, and then I fight for Yamate Kaifong, you know, to schoolless. Schoolless, no final school to go because at ninety eight, age nine to fifteen. A big group, big group means, you know, you, at that time, you know, 50 something to 60 in that age. And then I find out that because at the time, all South Asian, I mean, working class kids, they have only four schools to go, government side. Uh, okay, 98, there were around 1,200 government subsidized schools. Okay. And then only four, two secondary and two primary schools that we accept. 
working class uh, African artists. And then at the time, I find our four schools were very full. And then so many new arrivals because of the 97 issue that people worry about what the policy will be changed, right? So they have a lot of family reunion, and which is, you know, the government admit that is unexpected and unprepared that so many Gurkhas and Baksan in uh, India, they, they have a family reunions and also bring along their kids. Okay. So, and then no school at the time, no mainstream schools are willing to accept them. Of course, they have some genuine difficulties. You know, they don't speak Cantonese, all those things. And then I start to help my children to find out the schools. And then because I was forced to resign, I find no NGO will allow me to continue my service. At the time, in 98, I think I believe I was the first social worker to serve this group of people. Maybe one or two NGOs served domestic helpers at the time. But I mean for the Hong Kong local effort minorities, especially the children, the education issues. And then I tried to find, but no, no NGO will allow me. I was, in, at that time, I used uh, pages. And then when I left Yen Memorial, and then many kids called me, said that for me, we need your help. But because it, according to our professional <laughs> court practice, that I need to keep a distance with my old kinds so that the new workers can pick up and build the new workers, right? So I did not reply their calls. But three months, you know, keep calling. And then I was, you know, I feel so worried, you know, maybe something happened. And then I try to return their calls. And then some of them want the school, some of them start to using drugs because, you know, nothing to do. And then uh, I was so worried. And then I went to my university teacher, Mo Heng Lin. I said, okay, how can I do this one? Because, you know, NGO is serving. I don't want to be fired again. <laughs> my teacher said, hey, you can set up your own NGO. Wow. You can set up your NGO. Wow, it's really surprising, right? And then I just find my two of my friends, you know, to register, you know, UNICEF as a society. Good for you. Yeah. What year? 2001 March. And then we start to work. I, you know, I would change and then organize activities, going to police station or to go to court, you know, if they get caught by the police. And then in June, I got a free office from my university's teacher's friend. I did not receive a salary. So it was quite okay because I just, you know, I keep asking my different friends to sponsor. How do you finance yourself? Oh, uh, that was, you know, quite amazing. Because when you have really strong passion that to do something, you will forget about all your material needs, really. Because uh, what I need is only the transportation fee and food. But I always, you know, forget the food, you know, skip lunch, and then I go home to eat. I live with my, my family. And then only the transportation fee, not as expensive as nowadays. So I can manage. But after um, one year, and my sister support me and give me some we call is um, pocket money. But I feel embarrassed. I, my sister said, okay, so you feel embarrassed so you can manage it yourself. I said, no, you better, you know, give me full auto pay. <laughs> because auto pay, no need to give me cash. And then my sister, yeah, I have an auto pay. Oh, give me my pocket She's money. very supportive. So yeah. this is Tracy. Yeah, this is Tracy, yeah, for three years. And after three years, uh, because of my family issue, I went to Australia. I intend to co-start Unison in 2004. 
because I need to go to Australia for a while because I was one woman organization. And then a loyal Kai, the director of human rights monitor, feel that that would be a very a waste and also pity that if innocent. Because at that time already media and government already heard about the lamb and know that, you know, someone is serving them. And then a loyal Kai was really kind enough and then, you know, help innocent to establish to, we call to, um, institutionalized that, you know, to write up a proposal to Oxfam and hire staff to replace me and then set up the board of uh, directors. So that was a family issue you yeah, went to yeah. Australia? Yeah, so, uh, because I need to bring my two nieces to Australia uh, to for study as a guidance. And in 2006, because uh, the executive director resigned, so I uh, need someone urgently to take up. And then I told my board of directors, I said, temporary, I can take it up. <laughs> for temporary. <laughs> but... I could not find, you know, other people, you know, to take up my place. And also in 2006 was really cool so year because the bill. In 2004, the government launched a consultation on the legislation. And then I was relieved that, you know, the government, after the consultation, they would table the bills to the let's go. But after two years, no. And then when I came back, I asked, you know, some friends in government. They, they said that in, within the government, it's very strong opposition on the idea of legislation against uh, racial discrimination. And then they even said that because you were not there, no voice, no one care, right? So now they just, you know, just want to put it aside. And then I start my campaign, my campaign in June, my campaign to urge the government to table the bill to the let's go. So prior to 2006, there was no racial discrimination no, law no, in no, Hong Kong? No, no. So you could be sacked based on your ethnicity? Yes, yeah. All people can just, you know, openly, you know, directly discriminate against you. And then people, it's just easy, especially police, stop and search. And then we start with some local human rights activists to uh, campaign for the legislation against racial discrimination. And then uh, I start from 98. And then in 2004, the government start the public consultation. But, you know, uh, within the government, in fact, for the public, not really care about it for the public because, you know, not my business. But within the government, very, very strong opposition. Why? Because, you know, colony itself is a form of racial discrimination. So a lot of old policy and practice, in fact, are discriminatory. And then they don't want to change. They don't want to change. If there is a law, and then they must, you know, to change the policy or the practice into more, you know, equal way. For example, you know, in 98, the government introduced the mother tongue policy. But mother tongue means Cantonese, which is not our every minority's mother tongue. So they, they can keep the policy, but they need to do some extra support, right, for the non-Chinese-speaking uh, children, right? But they don't want to do it. They have no idea or generally understand about the concept of human rights or racial equality. And then I start the campaign with Loyal Kai, Margaret M, Emily Lau, and then um, we force the government to table the bill. So and eventually the government tabled the bill on December of 2006. We saw discrimination ordinance and then I asked the government, why not call it anti-racial discrimination ordinance because your bill is full of racial discrimination. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the bill, now we have the law called racial discrimination ordinance that uh, it was um, passed in 2008 and became effective 
in 2009. So now we have built. But of course, you know, the, the waste law is full of loopholes. It's comparative with other free pieces of um, equal opportunities laws. It is much, much weaker than those three. So uh, it's really frustrating. Yeah. So still a long way to go. Yes, yeah. Fermi Wong there. Now, before we go, remember that Fermi dashes off to England to avoid a marriage. Well, she did get married just to someone else. And I get married and no children, with no children, because I need to take care of my nieces and nephew. So, oh, so you're married? Yeah, yeah, I'm married. Yeah, my, my, my husband uh, is a social worker too. He is teaching higher diplomas, uh, social workers. And what's his name? Michael Chen. Right. Yeah. And how did you two meet? Oh, we were colleagues in Shatin. Yeah, in 95, back to 95. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he followed on from the doctor? Yes. <laughs> he, he went to UK to visit me <laughs> and, and brought me, you know, uh, back to Hong Kong. And then he supported me all the way. <laughs> My thanks to Fermi Wong, founder of the NGO Unison. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage. <laughs>